Hey, gents, it's John checking in right before the episode here. We recorded this back in February. There there really isn't anything that uh, is sensitive to the time that we're in right now around the virus outbreak, but you know, still an amazing story. Great to hear from Greg. What I wanted to highlight is in the time since we recorded this, and then I connected with Greg on LinkedIn, and I've been able to watch him go through this crisis. Uh, one, uh, bow ties is definitely being hit by the current situation. Uh, But Greg was one of the earliest people that I knew of that pivoted to create masks as soon as possible, not just to sell them uh, for people who are looking for them, but also working with governments in order to get them in the hands of medical professionals. And it's been really admirable to see the speed that he could turn around his manufacturing and he was offering up his expertise of uh, of his employees. And he has mentioned that he's personally funding the company right now uh, to keep it afloat because it's definitely hit hard by the current situation. So you're going to hear an amazing story about Greg. Uh, but if you want to learn more about bow ties, definitely check him out. Uh, I've been amazed at his entrepreneurial spirit uh, since getting to know him uh, on this episode. And so just wanted to highlight that before we get into it. Uh, without further ado, Greg Sugar from Bow Ties. Today on the Button Up Podcast, we have Greg Sugar. He's the founder of the Tie Bar and the CEO of Bow Ties. Great to have you on the podcast, Greg. Great, thanks for having me, John. Absolutely. So, I, as a personal fan of the Tie Bar, going back to my original bit uh, when I had to start dressing in business casual, very excited to connect with you. But I know you've done several, uh, you've had several stints as an entrepreneur here, a lifelong entrepreneur, and we want to kind of dig into how that started and where that came from. And, and I always like to start off with, you know, where'd you grow up, where you're from, and and how did you get to who you are today? Well, uh, let's see. I'm originally from Miami Beach, Florida. And uh, when I w- went to college at Indiana University and then ultimately went to law school in Chicago. And uh, that's kind of where I started my professional life, practiced for eight years. And uh, I'd say during year seven of that is when I had my, my moment that a lot of entrepreneurs have. Um, for me, it was a kid, one of my little kids throwing cereal on my tie. Um, and I got very frustrated. I just bought a new tie. It was about 50 bucks. And I thought, geez, I got to get started all over again. Um, and my wife and I struck up a conversation about why are ties fifty dollars? I don't, I don't quite get it. And uh, so I went online, and this is now two thousand four. So I found a website that we all know today, but in twenty oh four was not as well known, called Alibaba. And Alibaba took us to a, through a lot of manufacturers, mostly in China. I mean, you can find them all over the world, but the ties were all mostly made in China. And uh, back then, the ties were being made for about two dollars and ten cents each. And I thought, why the, why am I paying fifty bucks? So, um, we just started like this little path of asking questions and said, you know what, we can probably do this ourselves. And um, we started reaching out to suppliers, and I started pencil drawing some designs. I I won't say they're great because they were not, but it was twenty oh four, and guys weren't as stylish as they are today and so they were more forgiving and long story short after a few months lo and behold uh, 6500 ties showed up in my garage and uh, we built our website or had someone build our website which again 2004 such a different world of websites built it and launched in september of 04 um, with these 6500 bo- uh, neckties then sitting in my basement and uh, sort of started in e-commerce we were probably, I always say we probably because I just don't know of anyone, the very first menswear company that launched natively online. I don't know of another one. Um, yeah, so you're I, like the original D2C brand. 
Yeah, I, well, originally in menswear, I don't think there is an original, there's one that was before us. I always take pride in that. On the other hand, it wasn't a stroke of genius by any means. We only sold on the internet because if I had brought those somewhat ugly ties into a buyer at Nordstrom, they would have laughed me out of the building. So your only option was really selling online. The good news is that most of those department stores weren't selling online at that time, or they certainly weren't selling ties. So my only competitors were other schmucks like me sitting in their basement trying to sell. So um, I guess I was the most successful schmuck of that group. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I remember coming across you when I started buying ties in like 2011. And so that was when I really got turned on. But even in the world of e-commerce today, 2004 was still early on in Amazon's lifetime to the point where you were probably dealing with people really not wanting to put credit cards in the internet, which is a strange thought today. But that is, that's a great point, and I forgot about that, but you're right. There, it was not uncommon to get a phone call, and then I'd say hello, and they'd say, oh, I just want to make sure you're a real company. And then they would hang up, and then two seconds later, i get an order. I mean, they, they literally wouldn't trust that you were a real company. So you actually nailed that. It's hard to believe that that existed now that we're where we are. But you're right. No four, there were still the issues of trust. Yeah, absolutely. And so then how long did you do that as like a moonlighting thing as you were practicing? So that was for about a year where um, I was an attorney working literally till about 7, 7.30 at night, coming home, being with the kids, putting them to bed. And then my, my wife and I would just work on the company. At that time, I worked, you know, we barely had any orders. We were advertising mostly on Yahoo back then, just to really give you an idea of how old this was. Yahoo was like the better advertiser in 2004. And bids back then were 10 cents, 12 cents. I miss these days. And um, I really started doing a lot of pitches. Um, I, I realized that we had sort of an interesting story to tell because what, the tie bar, what we we launched the company selling neckties for $15. And that was before the recession. So it wasn't uncommon to spend a lot on something and not necessarily expect or demand value from it you just sort of bought things and there was this uh, culture of you know i spend 50 bucks on a die and it's no big deal and we tried to break that culture and so i i did a lot of pr pitches on my own i didn't know really any the first thing about it but i i read some press releases online sort of figured out the pattern and i wrote some press releases and i would spend my nights sending them all over the country to anyone and anyone anyone and everyone who would listen to me um and so that went on for like a year and then about a year into it, um, there was a big article in the Chicago Tribune style section about whether you could tell the difference between a $200 pair of jeans or a $30 pair of jeans. And I thought, geez, that's exactly what our story is. That's our whole business model or our pitch to customers. So I reached out to the then editor. Her name was Wendy Donahue. And um, I said I gave her a pitch about our company. I said, we, we're basically the same thing, with, except with ties. We don't think you're going to be able to tell a big difference between our $15 ties and the $50 and $75 ties. And I was so convinced of that because all these ties are being made in the same places, the same city in China, all using the same equipment. They all use this. I mean, everyone's putting the same amount of silk into ties. There really wasn't much of a qualitative difference. Now, certainly from a design standpoint, we weren't on par, but you know, a striped tie is a striped tie. I mean, there certainly there's only so so many designs you can find in neckwear. And so we she she called us. We sent some ties over to her. She put them in front of guys and ended up writing this huge three-page spread in the fashion section on how basically you don't have to spend a lot of money on a necktie to get a great necktie. And it, it was like our whole business model in an article. 
that day alone, I'm sorry to be so long-winded, but that day alone, China, it really changed our, our whole company. So the day before we had nine orders, which is fine. Like that's a normal day back then was nine orders. And the day the article came out, we had 206. The day after that, we had 180 something. And the day after that was in the hundreds and it just didn't stop. And so after 30 days of that, I looked at my wife, I said, you know, I think I made more money. We made more money in the Thai business than I did as a lawyer. And so she kind of like talked me into quitting. And I walked in my, uh, one of the partners that I reported to that next Monday and I said, I'm done. Like, this is it. And, uh, you know, he was in shock. The whole firm was in shock. We had, they had this big meeting. They brought me in and asked me if I'm sure this is what I want to do. And uh, I, it was. I really, like, got such a huge kick out of it. And, um, and then, you know, that was 2006. And then for really, you know, up, when you found us in 2011, we had totally hit our stride. I mean, we had designers. We had moved into a, a real building. We had a fulfillment center of our own. We had a customer service. So we had really started to figure out neckwear when you showed up in 2011. So we probably looked really cool to you. But you missed a lot of ugly ties through the years. <laughs> well, no, I, I think the real reason that I ended up finding you is I was so into Mad Men and I wanted skinny ties. And you were like the top rank for you know skinny ties and you had the the retro vintage designs and yeah. that was that was definitely the catalyst for it you know it's fine i did so many interviews back then and i was always praising mad men for resurrecting the neckwear business i swear i don't think it gets enough credit because the neckwear business was really dying um in the mid 2000s mad men came out and they were all of a sudden skinny tie was everything and we had never done that before and in fact um i'll never forget someone tweeted to us Hey, uh, you make tie bars uh, that are two and a half inches long, but you don't make any tie bars for skinny ties. Why don't you do that? And right. it made a ton of sense. So I just emailed my supplier. I said, hey, we have this two and a half inch tie bar who at that point, the only guy wearing that is, you know, a waiter. I mean, I don't know who wore tie bars that big even back then. I said, just take that. And can you make it one inch long? So she, um, the supplier ends up sending me like a hundred of them. And uh, I showed it out to GQ's fashion editor at the time. The next thing I know, Jake Gyllenhaal's on the cover of GQ magazine wearing our one-inch tie bar. Well, no one had ever created that before. And we ended up selling over 1,000 – I forget what it was – 1,000-something in the first couple weeks. Um, we had a rush order more. And, I mean, we were literally selling tens of thousands of those one-inch tie bars, which I know they still sell to this day. And that all really all came from Mad Men. Um, so uh, – you know, anyway, it didn't mean to hijack your story, but that's, uh, I really do thank God Mad Men was around back then. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, that was Mad Men in a tweet. Right. That's, that's how, that's how modern business is done. So then right. not long after I found you then though, you sell the company to a private equity firm to then move on to other passions. Yeah. We had basically our, our sales doubled year after year. Um, for, I don't even know, three, four years. And it was just like sort of time that, we thought a bigger company can come in and and sort of do it better. Um, I don't know that that necessarily happened, but that's what we thought would happen. Um, and uh, you know, we got a, a very nice offer, and we exited in 2013. Um, and uh, it was a very uh, important day in my life, and I was very happy. We did nine years of the tie bar. I'm so proud of what we grew. And even though I'm technically now just a competitor of them. Um, I'm still, I still look at the company with, with a great deal of pride and, you know, it's sort of my baby. And I, I just feel uh, my wife and I are so, so proud at what it's become. 
Yeah, and I mean they're still in headquartered in Chicago. They have their their shops all open up afterwards. I know they, you know, I've watched them expand their line to pants and shirts and everything. It's been very interesting to see them kind of change because I can remember reading the the report that you had that left and uh, the company was offering new things. But then after that, you started with uh, with men's sheets. Yeah, well, so I just sort of another episode. You know, my we moved my wife. We moved from Chicago to Florida after the sale. My wife puts me to work and says, "Go get us bedding for our house." I go to Macy's and everything seems to be pink or floral or lace. You know, I, find, I go over to Nordstrom and Macy's. I'm finding the same thing, and I'm like, you know, I'm not looking for cowboy hats or football helmets, but I am looking for something that's, I don't know, a little bit more. You know, I don't know what the right word is, but let's call it more neutral and not necessarily solid white either. Um, and I couldn't find anything. And so I thought, you know, I, I wonder if, if if there's something here. There's got to be men shopping. I, I think I'm an anomaly. I don't think a lot of married straight men go shopping for sheets. But I do think that there are gay men going shopping, divorced men and single men. And, and there's got to be guys out there who just don't want solid white. The same guy who cares about what he looks like, I think, you know, how he dresses probably takes some pride in his home as well and might want to find something a little different in bedding. And so um, went through this whole, you know, exercise, visiting suppliers, went to a trade show out in uh, Germany, met with uh, some suppliers. And ultimately, um, me and a couple partners started this uh, this company, Threat Experiment, in 2015. So we're going on five years. We're still in business. We've pivoted a little bit. We found that people don't like when we say bedding for men. They don't like um, masculinity to, to be cornered into something. Uh, we actually found that a third of our customers were women. So we pivoted a little. We kind of call it modern bedding or, you know, basically what we do is we sell patterns. I mean, we sell interesting patterns that are inspired by menswear, inspired by men's fashion, but we don't necessarily call it med- uh, bedding for men. And we're basically the alternative to a guy who wants uh, something that's solid or, you know, doesn't love the color teal for his bed. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating because it's also a very similar time frame to somebody like a parachute or a Brooklyn. And like you saw that you saw the need in the market and then you went to fill it. And that's that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, those guys, we all started right around the same time. And it's so funny because I had no idea any, that that market was growing. But we were right smack in the middle of it. Parachute, Brooklyn and Bull, Bull and Branch. We all started around the same year or maybe one or a few months off. Um, they really, you know, some of those companies have really taken off. Bull and Branch, I admire a ton. I'm friendly with with the uh, with the founders and I, I just admire what they do. But yeah, the that industry, that category is certainly taken off. Yeah. And then you got Casper nearly imploding recently, which I think that's what's on my bed. I got Casper sheets on uh yeah, well, yeah, and they started with the bed in the box, you know, the mattress uh, bed in the box, and naturally, uh, top of the bed is the next logical step for them. And you know, I'm sure they're doing it well. I've never seen Casper sheets or felt them, but I'm sure they're great. Yeah, they're nice. So you get Thread Experiment up and running, and then you find bow ties. And so, uh, what was what was kind of the the meaning behind that move? Well, my non, I had a five-year non-compete after I sold the tie bar. Um, I couldn't be, basically, I couldn't be in menswear. And that was really my passion. I, I, I Not only had I run the tie bar for nine years, but I was just engrossed in menswear from a business perspective. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a terrible dresser. I'm, I guarantee you're a better dresser than me, but I really, I love menswear. I just do. And so when my non-compete ended, I put a little thing out on LinkedIn saying, hey, my non-compete ended if anybody knows of any opportunities. Um, over a period of about a year and a half, almost a year and a half, I got 
to the point of six handshake deals um, that some morphed into a written letter of interest and some just never went past the handshake deal. But none of those deals closed. And uh, I was actually right about to sort of give up on it. And uh, I got a phone call from an old com uh, competitor, Bowties of Vermont. I had known the, uh, the, new the then new owners of the business, although they had owned it for about six years. They bought it from the founders who told me they were looking to exit. Um, I went out to the company, visited literally for about half day and fell in love with the people, the company. I saw a lot of opportunity. I know that the neckwear industry is not where it was when I left in 2013. It's definitely on a downturn, but I, I love neckwear. I love accessories. I'm an eternal optimist with this stuff, and I felt like there's a lot of opportunity. So I went in and I made my offer and bought the company, and here I am 10 months later. You want to make neckwear great again? <laughs> so let that be the last Trump reference ever. <laughs> no, no problem. So does that does that mean you go from Florida up to Vermont then? Yeah, if I'm up there every few weeks, um, I spend a few days with our team, um, and it's you know, in, in being there in person is just outstanding. But we actually have such a great team. Some of people, I would say, more than half the people have been there more than twenty years. Believe it or not, bow ties of Vermont's actually an original. It, it was a it was a direct to consumer business. That was founded in 1993. Now there was no internet, so, but it was like a Lands End, J Crew, whatever you want to call it, and they started as a print catalog. And elder, uh, then a couple, let's say that they were in their 50s or 60s at the time. The guy loved bow ties, and he started his own company, and he really built an incredibly loyal following. I used to get their print catalogs every month because I'm just uh, I, I snoop around. I always like to see what the competition is doing. And I always admired what they were doing. Um, but the people I met there were just outstanding. They really have a great hold of the company. And so I'm lucky that I don't have to be there more often. They they really are self-sufficient. It's not to say we don't literally talk on the phone every day and exchange, you know, 300 emails, but they, they got this, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis uh, without me being physically present. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, I worked with Orvis in there in Sunderland, Vermont, and it was the same thing where, you know, they, they measured their employee tenure by decades, not years. Yeah. And, uh, very, very cool culture up in Vermont. It is. I absolutely love the culture there. I mean, I think they like look at me like I'm a nut job because I'm, I don't know, I'm a little more high strung and intense, especially in business. And they're just so laid back and friendly. I mean, we get along just fine, but I do think that when I come in, like everyone's taken aback for a few minutes until I get settled in. Yeah. So then, you know, working with a team, maybe product line expansions, refresh and modernization is probably like your your biggest uh, opportunities. Yeah. I mean, right away, I, I changed the logo. The logo felt a little dated. Um, we updated the website. That was a heck of an investment. We did some behind the scenes infrastructure investment, uh, we invested in fixing the infrastructure. Um, and then I, uh, had wanted to do a shirt line. So we quickly got into shirts and socks. Um, I sort of changed the way that their neck, they, their neckwear had really, they had turned into this sales company where they were having sales almost every day. And they were as a result buying sort of new and lesser quality fabric to be able to sell at a sale price. Because what makes Bowties of Vermont different, among other things, is that they actually make everything right there in Vermont. It is handmade by these incredible seamstresses. There's 14 of them. And they do an incredible job of making these bow ties. The problem is they were buying these fabrics that I thought were not great and then putting them on sale. And I think it was ruining the brand. So I scaled that back and we started ordering better fabrics from better companies. We started designing our own, because I love to 
work on design, original designs. I don't like to buy pre-made fabric. We found a great supplier in Italy. I mean, so we really started to put together a much better cohesive group of designs right away to go with these shirts and socks. Um, and then in January, we introduced underwear. And that all came from, while it feels off-brand, it really just came from, again, same experience. I have, I'm wearing Tommy John's. I love them. They rip. I buy a new pair. I love them. They rip. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I'm spending 30-something bucks. Did my research. Long story short, I create a pair a pair of premium underwear, and we're selling it 13 bucks, three-pack for 33 And are they life-changing underwear? They're not. But they will compete with any 30-something dollar brand, premium brand. They fit great. They're moisture wicking. I absolutely love them. I wear them every day. And so now we have an underwear line. And then a week, a month after that, we released our first ever footwear brand. Now, this I've been working on for like a year. I had uh, been doing some consulting for a shoe company and uh, started to fall in love with footwear. And long story short, I put together this leather, uh, white rubber sole um, shoes that we made dressy enough, I think, for suits and uh and other sort of uh, more dressier tailored clothing and we just released those uh on monday and we've actually had an incredible release i'm so happy with how they've gone and uh you know that's kind of what we've done i don't i don't necessarily want to build this thing out to be trying to be the next vineyard vines i'm not stupid i know who we are and who we're not but i do feel like we have a very loyal customer base we do an ex really a great job of, of neckwear. And I do think there are like little things that, you know, I've been around the business long enough. I felt comfortable in being able to design and create some of these products. And I thought our customers would want them. And you know what, so far, thank God. So good. Yeah, no, very cool. Uh, weave design on the, on the sneakers. I hadn't seen those and a great price at $98. Yeah. Again, I just, I love those shoes. You know, we've seen the, the, the formal leather white soled shoes out there for a while. Um, but a lot of them are priced in the high 100s, 200s, 300s. I looked at some of these Italian leathers. I didn't really see anything too spectacular about them. So we're making them less expensively. And so as a result, we can make that. We could sell them less. I think 98, I'll be honest, our gross margin is not very good. But I think 98 is an appealing price to a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. And an H-fly on underwear is the best. I don't know. I know, right? I totally. Why people still make vertical. And we do get some feedback negative about that before they buy it. I'm like, just buy a pair. Trust me, you're going to love it. Uh, I totally agree. It's such a much more convenient way of doing business. <laughs> so then what have been some of the learnings that you've gone you know, through these, these different uh, you know, entrepreneurial journeys and the things you've learned, either building a company or uh, finding the next opportunity? Like, What are some of the things you've now taken away that have, have really uh, stuck with you? Well, I mean, I, th I will tell you that like – I wrote one LinkedIn a few months ago. I said something about there should be a, a guide or a book out there about there's a million books about building companies. There's no books on what happens when you buy a company, because when you buy a company, you buy everything. So you don't just buy, you know, the, the email list and the, the uh, inventory in the back. You're buying the history. So you're, that means employee history. That means customer history. You're buying all the great things about the company, but you're also buying all the warts. And there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of uh, learning curve that goes into it. And while you may come in and think you know you have all the answers, um, you you don't, you know. And there's been, we've had many meetings where I start with, okay, we're gonna start by changing X. By the end of the meeting, there's no change because I realized the way that they were doing it was right. 
or I say we're going to start by changing it to Y. And by the end, we decide on Z being the best, um, where we come up with sort of a compromise. Uh, there's just so much. You, you, the really, you know, the answer always lies in your customer. Uh, I could tell you when we started Tybar, we always thought our customer would be a basically who I am now, like a 45, 47 year old professional guy who wears a tie to work every day. That's who we thought our customer was. It ended up being millennials, and we did not expect that at first. But we didn't fight it either. We went with it. So we started changing our designs uh, to to appeal more to millennials um, and then our widths, right? We went to those skinny ties because that's what millennials were wearing. And our, some of our older customers were like, what are you doing? And I was like, yeah, sorry, our, our customer turns out they're younger and they want skinnier ties. And so with bow ties of Vermont, you know, I went in there and I said, no, you know, I want sort of a, a younger cu customer. And as it turns out, our customer's older. Our customer's, um, you know, 40 to 55 years old. And he... Our bow ties are 48 bucks. I made that comment about $50 ties, but we're, everything's made in America. A lot of our fabrics are from Italy. I mean, we're just a different, we're not selling that stuff that's just pre-made in China, like basically all the inexpensive necktie companies do. We make it much different. We sell a different product. And as a result, I think we have a different customer. So if you're fresh out of college and you need to wear five ties a week, I don't know that you want to buy a $48 tie from us. Um, but if you're, you know, 40s, 50s, you're moving on uh, up at work and you're doing better, I, I think you treat yourself to some better neckwear. And, uh, you know, if you're a neckwear guy, I think you feel and appreciate the difference of what we create. Yeah, I definitely I saw that my personal style journey is that I, you know, I had I don't even know how many dozen tie bar ties, but now I just kind of want like five or six really nice ones. Um, that I really love and, and are made really well, but it yeah. sounds like then, you know, that, that would you attribute some of the success and, and what you've learned? Is it, it how important it is to just listen and like and absorb and learn? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, that story I told of Twitter and it's just a great example. You got to listen to your customers. Um, you, you, you don't know it all. You do not. And, um, don't fight, uh, what, what's working for your company, for your own personal beliefs. So another great example is I hate solid ties. I hate them. There's no creativity. They are, they are absolutely to me boring. And, you know, from a design standpoint, what, you know, what, how great is a solid tie? Meanwhile, of course, they're the best selling ties. So a tie bar, for example, we didn't have solid ties for the first three years. I made like five because I was like, fine, we'll make solid ties. They would sell out, you know, completely. And by the time we were done, I think we had 25 solid colors. And guess what were the best 25 selling dyes? You know, those. Not literally the best 25, but of course they all sold well. And it's a great lesson that like, you know, if you want to be a successful business person, you listen to your customers. You know, if you want to, you just want your own product for your own vanity, that's fine. You create your own, but you may not be in business forever. So you definitely got to listen to your customers. Again, the customer said, why are your tie bars so long? Make them shorter for skinny ties. You, you listen to something like that. Um, one of my other favorite stories is years ago when, when back in the day where you could post something on Facebook to your followers and they all actually saw it. Um, we had designed a, a, a tie dye tie and I loved it. The sample came in and I put a picture up and I said, hey, look, everyone, this is coming out in April. And the comments were just like, they tore it apart. Like that's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. Don't make that. It's awful. I mean, everybody ripped into it. Nobody stuck up for it. 
And so uh, that was in the morning. In the afternoon, I took a picture of the tie cut in half. And I said, okay, we're not doing it. And people loved us for it. They loved that we listened to them. We loved that we reacted to what they said. Um, and, you know, we probably saved money in not producing ties that would never sell. It was a great way to really make a, a connection with our customers. Yeah. And it sounds like with that experiment, you did too, you know, the way that you were speaking to the customer as far as it being, you know, men's betting versus just betting for for more people. Right, right, exactly. I mean, we don't get like these hate comments on Facebook anymore about uh, issues of masculinity or why is this just for men? Yeah, I mean, our customers didn't like that. And, uh, you know, honestly, our sales have gone up the last couple of years since we pivoted. And uh, we have, a, I think, a more diverse customer base as well. Yeah, you got to listen to your customers. I agree. So spending a lot of time in like the GQ world and in the menswear thing, has your personal style evolved? Um. It's, I mean, my whole life, I've always been a little bit on the fringe. When I was in high school, I used to wear like golf plaid pants to school while everyone, of course, was wearing jeans back then, Edwin jeans. Um, and the reason I did is not because I think I had style because I didn't, but I always did want to be a little bit different. And so, you know, I've now sort of changed a little bit where I might stand out, but I'm, I'm within the, the world of norms. Um, and I don't necessarily get all dressed up when I don't have to either, but yeah, I mean, I definitely always pay attention to what I wear. So even if I'm just wearing a t-shirt and jeans, it was a very conscious decision to wear a t-shirt and jeans. I don't just throw anything on anymore. And it always frustrates the hell out of me because I would say 95% of my friends are exactly what you think they would be. Just those guys who who really do not care about their clothing or their wives might buy it for them. They don't give it a second thought. And it always kills me that they're like that. But um, I definitely take great pride in what I wear. You know, if I go into a business meeting, given the industry that I'm in, I do feel a little bit of pressure, of course, to make sure I'm doing it right too. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess my personal style as it has evolved, but I've always, like I said, I've always sort of been, uh, I pay attention or I've always just been interested in fashion in some way. Yeah. And I'm sure as being the owner of several fashion companies, you, you think style is a very important aspect of a, uh, of a way a person presents himself. Absolutely. I, I, I say that all the time. I've been with business partners and I'm like, guys, you got to like dress special for this. Stop grabbing your dad's Navy jacket with gold buttons. Like let's get a good suit. And people don't understand what good suit, what a good suit looks like. You know, I mean, the concept of a better fit is still new to a lot of people. You know, they show up with these huge uh, uh, suits that don't fit them and they think it's right. And, it just kills me how many conversations I've had through the years, just trying to get guys, you know, just to get it like sort of at the minimum threshold of looking like a professional. And yes, I think it does very much have an effect on, um, on people. And they just, it's, I think a lot of it's subconscious. They don't even realize um, that a more positive feeling about somebody if they're dressed better. Yeah. We're preaching to the choir here. I'd argue we have yeah, one, of sure. the dressed, uh, one of the best dressed audiences in podcasting right here. Awesome. So. Uh, well, that's great. I'd love to hear that story there and hope some people take away from it. We have a few rapid fire questions that we ask every guest that you're unprepared for if you're willing to participate. Of course. Let's hear them. All right. Uh, so there's just one word answers. The first thing that uh, you would pick. So your preference, Oxfords or Brogues? Uh, Oxfords. A morning shower or evening shower? Morning. Your favorite Bond actor? <laughs> 
I don't watch Bond movies. Jaws. No James Bond movies. Jaws, right? When I was a kid, Moonraker, Jaws, I forget. That I mean, guy. yeah, Jaws is a great character, but like a Daniel Craig guy or Pierce Brosnan. Or yeah, I mean, I, I, I can name all the actors, but I, I honestly, I think I saw like Quantum Leap and I saw Moonraker and that was it. I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. I'm sorry. Uh, it's okay. We got the new one coming out, so you can just say Daniel Craig. Okay, Daniel Craig. Well, he's been out for a while, but okay, Daniel Craig. Yeah. Cardio or lifting? Um, cardio. Pickleball. Uh, oh, there you go. The last book you read? Um, the uh, what's her Elizabeth Holmes book? I already forgot what's the name oh, of that. The Theranos one? book. Theranos. Yeah, bad book. Fantastic. Yeah, that was that and um, American Kingpin. Those are the two ones recently. Oh uh, yeah, you're not the first person to tell me that, but I haven't read it yet. It's good. It's good. Uh, chinos, jeans, or trousers? Um, can I say travel pants? Travel pants define those like as a, like a stretchy pant that looks like a dress pant. Yeah, kind of. Lulu makes some really nice ones. I bought some from uh, Banana Republic, which were surprisingly good too. Just sort of like this. I don't know. I don't know what it's, it's some kind of performance. I don't know. So some kind of chino, but not cotton chino. Let's say that. Yeah, performance chinos. I'm really into those. I did a whole video on them. Oh, um, did you really? But Bonobos I, makes the best ones. Bonobos makes a great one. Hill City actually makes an amazing one. They're a sub brand. Yeah. I'm gonna try that. Yeah, and Bluffworks makes travel gear, but uh, okay. And then if uh, if you're getting into the shower at the, you have a big meeting and you want to pump yourself up, what song are you playing? Mister Brightside. Wow, great choice. All Is right, it? I feel like oh, it shows yeah. my age. Okay. No, I would I would also put Mister Brightside in, in in my list if I had a, a group of them. That's great. You survived the rapid fire questions. Awesome. Okay. Well, that's great, Gabe. Uh, you know, everybody knows. I think. I'd be really surprised if anybody didn't know the tie bar who listens to the podcast, but definitely check out bow ties. If you're looking to step up into the the next level of, of quality and design. Very cool. I, I actually have uh, one of the, the ties from your collection and um, you know, just, I think the, the more products that I can end up talking about that have that history and that American heritage to them being made in the U S it's very exciting. And um, you know, if I, I saw you, you wrote for entrepreneur. Is there a place, you know, where people can follow you that you you're most active on social media? Um, well, I was really active on Twitter and then got thrown off because I have a bit of a mouth, um, politically speaking. So I was, I'm gone there, I guess LinkedIn, but I am starting a podcast soon. It's too bad. I haven't started it yet. Cause I'd plug it now, but I guess you could find me on LinkedIn. Just please do not hit me up with your product. Like the very first email, like give me like a month and then you can hit me up. <laughs> okay. That's good to know. And then, uh, <laughs> sign up for your email list for bow ties. I'm sure you're. You got your products coming through there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, our website is Bowties LTD. So Bow is spelled B E A U. So Bowties LTD.com. Bowties of Vermont. If you just Google that, you'll find our website. And uh, obviously, you can sign up for a newsletter there. Yeah. We'll link to that. And then uh, once the podcast is up and running, I'll get that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Thank you, John. Thanks for coming on the show, Greg. Great to connect with you. Okay. Thank you. Yep. All right.